I don't know if you're familiar with that passage. It's from Daniel chapter 5, but it's a very interesting passage. And uh, Belshazzar was either the crown prince or the king of Babylon. His father had went away to, uh, most historians say, his father had went away that day or that week or that month or that season to go up north and to fight against the Persian army. Uh, Belshazzar was in charge of the palace there in Babylon, and so he decided to throw this huge party. Thousand nobles come. I mean, he's opening it up to everybody, and God brings an abrupt end to the party by making a hand appear on a wall and write something down there. Man, that is like, man, you talk about a party ending. It was ended right there. I don't know about you guys, but I used to go to parties when I was teenagers. When I was a teenager, and we would go to the party, especially if the parents weren't there. But if the parents came home while we were at the party, everybody scattered like somebody turning on a light and roaches running away, you know, all getting away. You know, how many people know that our God is a party God? He enjoys parties. He enjoys celebrations. I mean, if you think about it, in the Bible, it's full of celebrations with God. Uh, You know, some of those celebrations, you know, he talks about when one person comes to know Jesus, there is a party in heaven. The angels celebrate and rejoice over one sinner who repents. So there's a lot of parties going on in heaven, even right now, as hundreds and thousands of people come to know Christ today. And that's just one of the things. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story about the prodigal son. We all know that story. But what happens at the end when the son who's been away has squandered his life, living a wild life, has used up all the inheritance, becomes so poor that he has to eat from the pigs, what the pigs are eating. He comes to his senses and he goes home. And while he's coming home, his father sees him, runs out to meet him, embraces him, brings him back in into the house and says, look at, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration. Why? Why am I going to do that? Because my son was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but is now found. And so there's this great celebration. You see Jesus extending a wedding party. Remember when Jesus was on his very first miracle, what does he do? He turns water into wine and extends the party. Usually back then they would have a whole week-long party and invite everybody from their town to come and celebrate with the bride and groom. And they ran out of wine. And so Jesus' mother asked Jesus to perform a miracle and provide more wine. And he does. And then, it doesn't stop there. In the last chapter of the Bible, the greatest party that ever existed and will ever be is listed there, is written about. And it's about the party in heaven when he gathers from every age in history all the people that have ever placed their faith in him and he brings them, he's redeemed them and he brings them up up into heaven. And the Bible says there's this huge wedding feast, a huge party where every person from every tribe, language and nation and comes together, who's been redeemed and brought together, brought and saved by Jesus Christ, they go up into heaven and they have this celebration. 
But it says right before the party starts, this is what it says. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why does God say that? Because most of those people that have gone on into heaven have experienced mourning, pain, crying, loss, and death. But in heaven, in heaven, that's all gone. It's all gone, and there's this great celebration. So is our God a party God? Yes. You can say that affirmatively. Yes, he is. So why does he bring an end to Belshazzar's party? Why does he just cut off the party? If he's a party God, why does he abruptly end the party that he's giving? Because Belshazzar was having a party that was actually harming the spiritual life of his entire nation. You see, God had been gracious to this country, Babylon, and this city here. And God had chosen them and used them as an instrument to bring his people, to bring judgment on his people, and bring them from Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel was one of those people that was taken captive, probably at 16 years of age. At this time in the book of Daniel, he's probably 80 years old. It's been a long time. And God has done miraculous things in Nebuchadnezzar's life and in the city of Babylon. God has shown up there, even in a corrupt country and city of Babylon. Something has happened. And God has been there. But Belshazzar, he doesn't actually agree with what God has been doing. In fact, he takes the holy things that have been captive, that have been taken captive with the people, where the holy utensils of the temple where they used to worship, and he is so brazen and so full of. Uh, rebellion and pride and arrogance, he said, let's just take those things and let's party with them. Let's fill them with wine. These were to the gods of the Israelites. Forget that. He doesn't exist. Let's worship the gods of of gold and silver and everything that we know. And he begins to party. And that's when the writing on the wall happens. Now, it's interesting. Some people would say, well, come on. Give him a break. He's only a a young man at this time. But what happens is that God is holding this man, this ruler, responsible for what he's known and what has been revealed to him, just like he will to us. You see, our God, he's so loving, he's so gracious, but he's also holy. And he is a God of judgment. And so you can't get away from that part of who God is. And there will be a judgment one day. And for Belshazzar, this was his day when God was going to hold him accountable to what he had done. Having seen these things and heard about them and seen them in his family, Belshazzar ignored them. In fact, he repressed them. You know, the Bible says what happens, what sin is, is we repress the truth in order that we can do what we want to do. And this is what Belshazzar was doing. In fact, willful spiritual blindness, and I call this willful spiritual blindness. 
What do you mean by that, Al? Aren't just people just blinded to the truth? No, sometimes we're willfully blinded to the truth. We choose not to believe the truth and believe something else. And when that happens, there's spiritual blindness that takes place. It occurs when we resist the leading of the Holy Spirit, ignore what the Word of God has revealed to us. This can cause us to lose our spiritual vision. And what is spiritual vision? Spiritual vision is just the ability to see, to understand, and to value the the same things that God does. It's the ability to understand what God is passionate about. It's the ability to understand that God loves us, that He cares about us, that He wants the very best for us, and that if we follow Him, He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And it goes right on into eternity. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, where there is no revelation, where there's no spiritual vision, people cast off restraint or they perish. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And there's a truth here. Where there's no revelation, where God doesn't reveal what He's doing, people cast off restraint. Or if they ignore the revelation where they suppress the revelation, then people say, well, I can just do whatever I want. And they end up doing that. But blessed is the one who really heeds wisdom instructions. Let me give you a little more of a context into this biblical story because it's a strange one, isn't it? The writing on the wall. See, it's a time of captivity of Israel in Babylon. Daniel's one of the remaining prophets left from the captivity. And like I said, he's about 80 years old. And he had been the advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel had just been a a young teenager. And he said, no, I'm not going to eat the things that you give everybody else. I'm a Jew, and so I'm going to keep my dietary laws and follow what I believe God wants me to do. And so Daniel would just hold on to that, even in the midst of the peer pressure from having to survive in a foreign country. And so Daniel became a great leader there in that country and a great advisor because he was able to interpret dreams that nobody else could interpret. And Daniel was given wisdom and understanding. He was able to learn the language of the Babylonians. He was able to speak in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And the guy was brilliant. And God used him in a powerful way. And Nebuchadnezzar, who was not a believer in God at all, saw the favor on Daniel, and he began to begin to believe in the God of Daniel. But before he did that, do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three friends of Daniel? The king Nebuchadnezzar made a 50-foot statue of gold, and he wanted everybody to worship it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, when the music played, I'm not going to bow down and worship that statue. And so the the statue was brought in, and everybody bowed down except these three guys. And, I mean, it was noticeable. You know, like, if everybody bows down, you're the only one standing up. What are you guys doing? Get over here. And the king had such... An ego, such arrogance, and such pride that he says, 
you're going to die. If you're not going to bow down to me, you'll die. And so you know the story. They throw him in the fiery furnace, and they heat it up ten times hotter than they ever have. And even the guys that carry him over there, they're killed because the heat comes out, and it just blows them away. It kills them. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go in there, and, and they're not burned. It's a miracle. And inside the furnace, there's one like the Son of Man, meaning it's the Lord is with them in the furnace. And they come out, and their clothes aren't singed. They don't smell like smoke. It's a miracle. And the, the king begins to believe in the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so what happens is he begins to believe, but then he lets spiritual blindness get a hold of, again, of him again. And so then, it's years later down the road. You know, this happens to all of us. God, all of a sudden, he makes himself known to us. We have some sort of revelation. He does something in our lives. He answers prayer. He does something in our lives. And then we say, thank you, God. Thank you for that. And then we go our own way. And we forget all about what he's done. And this is what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so what he does is he decides to um, look out over his kingdom. It's been 30 years later after that miracle. And he's looking out over his kingdom. And he sees all the buildings that he's built. And he looks at it and he says, wow, aren't I great? I am the greatest (coughs) king that has ever lived. And he starts to praise himself. And then God comes to him and says, Nebuchadnezzar, because you think you've built this stuff by yourself and haven't given glory to me, you're going to go, you're going to act like an animal for the next seven seasons. And this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes and he is temporarily insane. And he begins to, he leaves his kingdom His hair grows out. He doesn't shave. He doesn't do anything. He must have been schizophrenic for a season. And he just loses all of his uh, sanity. But at the end of this time, it says, at the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. He remembered that there was a God that he was supposed to humble himself before and to serve the God of Daniel. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? And so Nebuchadnezzar, who is this great king, humbles himself before the greatest king of kings, the living God. And because of that, God restores him. And then it says this. This is an autobiography of a Babylonian king in the Bible, and it's written in Aramaic. It's not written in Hebrew. Did you know that? Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 7 are written in Aramaic. It's an autobiography, so everybody in Babylon can hear it. You think God is just a God of a certain... A group of people? No, he's the God of the entire world. He wants to reach everybody. He wants to reach you and me. And so it's in Aramaic, and that's like, 
you know, Aramaic is like the common language of people back then. Why? Why, is, why did God have that in there? Because he wants people to understand who he is. And he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Where does spiritual blindness come from? It comes from pride and arrogance. It comes from us suppressing the truth that we know so that we can do what we want to do. And that's a form of pride and arrogance. You know, I never have had a hand appear on a wall and write down what I was doing wrong. But I've had a conscience tell me, Al, this is not the right way to live. Or Al, if you do this, there's going to be consequences. I'm sure you have had that too. It's also the work of the Holy Spirit as believers to convict us of sin and lead us to change and come back to God and restore that relationship. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin in our lives. It's one of the gifts that God has given to us. So I'm kind of glad we don't, we don't have, you know, can you imagine if you were at church here and then you saw a hand writing out your personal sins? I don't think... I don't think you feel too comfortable about that. I, I know I wouldn't want that, right? I'd rather have the Holy Spirit be speaking to me and respond. But I have a choice. I could either respond or I could suppress the truth or rationalize it away or say, you know, I'll deal with that later. Maybe that's what Belshazzar did all his life. He said, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with the relationship with that Hebrew God some other time. Right now, I'm going to party with my friends. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And he did it. So Daniel, after the writing on the wall is, is, it happens, uh, Belshazzar doesn't know what it means. It must have been just uh, writing of the first letter of the first word. Uh, some Bible commentaries say, say it wasn't clear what was written there. So he didn't know how to interpret it. So somebody tells him, I know there's somebody in your kingdom that can interpret dreams, can interpret so many different things. He's full of the wisdom of God. And it's Daniel. So Daniel, they call Daniel, who's probably been in retirement for a little while now, because Nebuchadnezzar has either died or has gone north to another kingdom to defend his kingdom in the north from the Peds. Perds and uh, the uh, Persians, yeah, Medes and Persians. So what happens is that that uh, they call Daniel in, and when they call him in, he begins to interpret what was on that wall. But he first prefaces it with a word to Belshazzar, and this is what he says: "Your Majesty, the Most High God." gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. 
But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. And so he's given him a replay of what has happened in his history. Now he says he knows this. Belshazzar knows this, but he's conveniently forgotten it or suppressed it. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them. And then he says this, you praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. He's saying, man, God has your life in his hands. Therefore, he sent his hand that wrote the inscription. And so at that moment, I'm sure Belshazzar's knees began to knock even more. He says that <laughs> he was so scared his knees began to knock. Because what was happening at that moment, at that night, the Medes and the Persians were just about at the city gate. They had stopped the river from flowing so that they could crawl underneath uh, the water gate and enter into the city and they were just about ready to take over Babylon. And this is when this was all happening. For Belshazzar, it was too late. The consequences had come down on his life, and it was too late. But it's never too late for anybody. If we'll humble ourselves before God. Have you guys uh, seen the movie Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, there's this guy, the, the leader is Chris Pratt, right? He's like the leader of this ragtag group of people called the Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's a pretty funny thing, but Pratt in real life is not the Guardian of the Galaxy, right? So he's a, you know, he's a believer in Christ. And uh, he had just come off a 21-day Daniel fast and it, you, know, you fast from fruits, you fast from meats and expensive things and uh, no alcohol drinking, nothing like that. And so he's fasting 21 days and uh, Stephen Colbert is interviewing him. And then he says with him, uh, he starts to ask him about his church. And his church believes in traditional marriage. His church believes in the sanctity of human life, even within the womb. And so these are all hot topics that got Chris Pratt in trouble for going to that church and believing those same things. And so Stephen Colbert says to him, don't you ever feel like you're like Daniel in the lion's den and everybody is attacking you? And you know what he says? I thought this was really good. He quoted Christine Kane. And he says this, if the spotlight that is shining on you is brighter than the light that comes from within you, it'll kill you. What he was saying is, in other words, the key to keeping your spiritual vision is humility and a continued dependence on the Lord, no matter what anybody else thinks. And if that light within you, that sense of confidence in God's love, 
his care for you, then you can stand up and be courageous just like Daniel was in the midst of a, uh, of a city and a country that was totally against him. But when the spotlight is on us and the spotlight becomes the thing that we all glory in, we can become so full of ourselves that it'll kill us. And so there's this idea about humility that really is good for our soul. You see, when we live in pride or arrogance or even independence or even willful spiritual blindness, we do damage to our souls. It hurts our relationship with God. And so God is always calling us to humble ourselves back to Him, place our life in His hands. He cares for us. You know, this last Wednesday was our first Alpha meeting. And in, uh, in, our, in our first teaching, we heard Dr. Francis Collins share about his experience as a world-renowned scientist and doctor, medical doctor. And he shares how he was confronted by a Christian woman who had, was in severe pain and terminal illness, but she seemed to have a positive attitude and trusted in God even though she might die. And Francis Collins was a young doctor at that moment, and he talked to her, he was treating her, and he saw in her this sense of confidence and peace even in the midst of suffering. And he says, what has made the difference in your life? And she said, it's my faith in God. It's, I know even if I die, I'm going to be in his presence forever. And that's the very best place I could ever be. <coughs> and then she turned to him and said, doctor, what do you believe? And he was dumbfounded. He said, um, I don't know what I believe. And then he says this. He said, after thinking about it for some time, he had to admit that he had come to a conclusion without really examining the data. And he was a scientist who always examined the data, but in this instant, he did not examine the evidence for a reason for faith in God. And he missed it. And he said this, he said in his book, he said, I had a combination of willful spiritual blindness and arrogance. Hiding behind an intellectual argument, he found himself with no assurance in faith and yet no assurance that God did not exist either. He was kind of in between. And I think a lot of people are in between because they haven't examined the truth about who Jesus is. You know, on further examination of his own soul and seeking out what God wanted him to do, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's a powerful witness of who Jesus is. Now, Francis Collins, he didn't party like Belshazzar. He didn't have that problem. But he did have the same willful spiritual blindness. He just had it in an intellectual way that kept on suppressing the truth of of who God is. So Daniel interprets what was in the writing on the wall, and he says this, This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parsin. And here's what these words mean, king. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, 
You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You know, although Belshazzar did not change and repent, we don't have to have that same type of destiny in our lives. God wants us to turn from our sin and find him to be the loving, caring God who who he says he is. And we can turn from spiritual blindness and find spiritual insight and vision. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to see the things that are unseen. But we can only see the things that are unseen and the plan that he has for us when we humble ourselves and we say, God, I want to see with your eyes. I want to think the way that you think. I want my life to be changed. And he'll begin to place within us his word, which is revelation. Remember, without revelation, people perish. People don't know what to do or they they give off restraints. So he'll give revelation through his word, through his spirit, through people coming into your life, through circumstances that point you back to God as a source of strength and dependence and power. You see, there will come a day and a time when we will all face the God who created us. There's going, to be, there's going to come a time when every one of us... The Bible says this. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What the Bible says is this. Every person has an expiration date. Every person has an expiration date. All of us do. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are, everybody has an expiration date. And we have to be aware that we don't know when our expiration date is, but God does. But what he's wanting to do between now and that expiration date is reveal his love to us. Reveal how much He cares for us, how much He wants us in a relationship with Him that will last not only here on earth, but will bring us right in through eternity to that last great party in heaven where He'll wipe away all our tears, all our sadness, all the mourning, all of that. He's created us for that last party. Here on earth, Jesus said, on earth you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm going to give you my peace, not like the world gives, but I'm going to give you a peace that's steadfast and real, that is rooted in my love. What are some action steps to regaining your spiritual vision? One of them is what? Take the time to humble yourself in the presence of God. I can't think of a better place to do that than at the communion table. Every month, we're a little bit late this month, but we're having communion today. But it's a time to humble ourselves, to remember what Jesus did at the cross for us. It always points us back to the cross and God's love for us. What he did at the cross. 
you take the revelation and you hear the revelation that He gives from His Word and you apply it to your life. And if that means to honestly confess sin and repent of sin, that's what we do. We're just honest with God. I mean, God knows us. It's like what Jeff was saying when he read that passage about the blind man who had this, or about the father who had the son who was, you know, in difficult situation. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to trust you. Honestly confess unbelief. Honestly confess sin before God. Reconnect with the Lord. A restoration of spiritual vision will begin to occur the more we humble ourselves before the Lord, the more we're dependent on Him. I can't think of another way to live. I mean, there are so... We are living in spiritually dark times. And people are full of fear from everything from climate change to uh, gun shootings to violence to uh, so many things. Fear of cancer. All those things that happen. In our, there's so much fear. As a young person growing up, I don't know how you could make it without spiritual vision. You've got to have spiritual vision. Spiritual vision will help you see that God is able to keep you and strengthen you and, and, and move you into the place where He has designed for you. But independence, arrogance, pride, suppressing the truth, that will lead to more darkness, anxiety, and fear. So I encourage you to trust the Lord. Reconnect with the Lord. Learn to take the next step of obedience He is leading you to take. So it's not only seeing something, it's also being willing to obey what God has said. Learn to take the next step of faith. When we humble ourselves in the presence of God, He's able to open up our eyes to the things unseen. He's able to give us a, a vision of His love, of His care for us. And I'm not just saying you see things, but I'm saying you understand things in a spiritual sense. That's spiritual vision. You begin to understand and see the things that God sees, care about the things that God cares about. So I'm going to have our worship team come forward here now. And uh, as we prepare for communion... I want to read uh, from Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, because this is also the book of Revelation. It's not the book of Revelations, it's the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. And in the end times, we get a revelation. When we get up into heaven, man, our eyes, I'm talking about spiritual vision. I mean, I think, I think we all see, the Bible says we see through a glass dimly right now. But when we're up in heaven, we're going to have 2020 eternal vision. We're going to have sharpness. Uh, it's going to be the greatest place to ever be. But in it, there, Jesus is going to be there, and everybody is going to be so full of appreciation for what he has done for us. 
It's going to be like the veil is taken from our eyes. The anxiety is gone. He's going to wipe away all of our tears, all of our sadness. John was up there. He saw it, the Apostle John, and he wrote about it. He says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, God is a God of the entire world. You have made them to be priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of many numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, the living creatures, and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Forget about the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone. We're praising the living God. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, forever and ever. You know, if you get a glimpse of that in your heart, and change how you live on earth. May God open up our eyes. May God give us a spiritual vision. Father, we pray that even as we come to your communion table, as we humble ourselves before you, open our eyes to see how great you are. You not only have a plan for us here on earth, but you have planned it right out into eternity. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Hearts that hear, ears that hear, hearts that will obey you. Pray this in Jesus' name.